Hey, good afternoon or good morning. Hey, how are you? Can you hear me? Oh, yes, I can hear you fine. How are you doing? Beautiful. Very well. Thank you. Very well. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Cool. Welcome to the podcast, Crisscross, and with me, Jason Layden, all the way from the United States. Before we get off with um, our CrossFit talk, just tell us about your year so far. I just It's always interesting to hear how people have coped during this very, very interesting time. Ooh, my year. Uh, my year is ever changing and, and evolving with this time. I'm learning a lot. So I have my facility, CrossFit Milford, which I've had for 12 years. And I also have the online training business, which is Conquer Athlete. And a lot with the gym during the time of COVID has really had me tighten up my systems from a gym ownership perspective. So from a gym ownership perspective, I look at it like there's three different values within inside of the gym and they're different for everybody. And lots of gym owners, they got to sit back and understand what the values are of their members. Meaning every member is going to value something different within inside the gym. And that could be different from a gym owner's perspective. So for myself with inside the gym across the Milford, I had to do lots of client interviews and the best way for people to really understand sort of what the values are within inside their members is to do client interviews. So think about who their ideal clients are and then interview them over a set amount of questions. And what I, when I went through this, I understood that the main value builders with inside members for my facility lied around gym appearance for some meaning, you know, fixing up the bathroom, putting up a, fixing the wall, et cetera. People valued seminars, which would be like holding a snatch clinic or a road clinic. And then other members valued social gatherings. So those are the three main sort of like value builders within inside of the facility. And what that did is that allowed me from a value builder, a perceived value builder perspective for the gym to understand how I could give that to members spread out every single month. And I'm not doing all those every single month, but each month I might do one. So when COVID hit, what I had to do was kind of try to maintain those value builders within inside the gym, but also continually try to drive personal connection with the members through the value builders. And the, the deeper connection that can be driven with the people that come in your facility, then sort of the more loyalty in or assistance they're going to give you during a really hard time. So when COVID hit, I had to really kind of dive in deeper to the personal connections with inside members. And we did stuff with the people inside of our gym, our coaches, where they would every single week send out weekly emails and personalized notes. And I would put together notes that I mailed to everybody inside the gym and try to continually drive and build that connection, let them know that we were there for them. So from a gym perspective, when everything hit with my year, a lot of it was around, okay, how can I keep driving connection and reconnect with members and, and still provide them a value why they may not be inside the gym walls, right? And then we were able to open back up. There's lots of fear factors that go along with what's happening. So how can we keep people safe? And some people believe in masks, some don't. Some, so it's, well, how can I kind of walk that line to make sure everyone feels like they're being heard, but still allowing people to feel safe. So for Jim, it was like that. And then from the online business, a lot of it came down to um, sort of like restructuring 
the the systems I had in place and try to make them stronger, right? So, so it's kind of like two paths I had to take. One path revolved around connections with inside the gym and safety, and the other path was almost around like a complete rebuilding of systems for the gym. So I had to kind of walk these two different brain wavelengths throughout the past couple of months to keep it going. But and then I got my family, right? And I got to get home and, and yeah. make sure my family's safe and my kids are doing a thing and my wife doesn't want to kill me because I'm at the gym and she's home with my kids. So yeah. a lot, a lot of that. I mean, you, you, you speak about, uh, about the, your businesses and the gym specifically, and um, I know positivity and mental toughness is a thing that you also focus on. You have a lot of experience with how did you keep yourself motivated during this time, spending so much time helping your members and your clients and your family. You know, I felt like, I feel like a duck in the water, you know, where they look really calm and their head's over, but their feet are just fucking going like crazy. And that's what I kind of felt like. And I think I still do. Um, I'm very regimented with my routines and part of my morning routine is I get up every morning around five to five fifteen AM and I journal a lot. And with inside my journal, I have a set, questions that I asked myself with seven specific questions around, you know, mindset and spirituality and, and growth. And I try to answer those questions. Then with inside that, I'll go through some meditation and some visualization. So I think that's helped me a lot um, to stay positive. And, and not every day I was positive, just like everybody else is. That's a worry. But I think when I find myself in a mindset where I feel like I'm worrying too much or creating some sort of anxiety or fear. I try to understand that to me, fear and anxiety are around stories that we're telling ourselves. So it's, what's the story that I'm telling myself? And if it's not true and it's just a perception, well, how can I overcome that story to bring myself back to the center of where I am? And we see that with athletes a lot too, right? So athletes, before a workout starts, they're going to start putting themselves behind the eight ball by telling such a story of what they think might happen, what they think they're going to occur. So before the workout even starts, they're already going into it thinking like, oh, this is going to hurt or I'm going to blow up or et cetera, right? People do that in their lives all the time where they've had these fears and anxieties around things that they think might happen but haven't really happened yet. So, you know, during that time, I would just try to recenter as far as like, all right, what What's true? What's fact? Where am I right now? And one of my mentors when I was growing up used to ask me questions when I was playing basketball. So I was a basketball player and I grew up playing basketball. And when I started kind of worrying about different situations, it asked me two questions. And they're like, where are you? What time is it? You know, it's like two basic questions. But I always had to say, I'm right here and the time is now. And it was a way to kind of bring me back to, to understanding of, of where I am right now and what can I control in the moment of where I am. So from a mindset perspective, to kind of dial myself back into to ground zero. So I went through that a lot over this span, and I still go through it. And my wife is one of the smartest people I know, and she's very wise. So I talk to her a lot, and she, is a, she does a really good job of bringing me back to, to the center, too, when I kind of start freaking out for certain things. But, yeah, I mean, I kind of... It's a team effort, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you spoke, you, you quickly mentioned your, your basketball career or, you know, we, we had started and then 
you also had an accident that that caused you to you know for that to end so I want to go back to the question I first want to mention you you were mentioned you were you were called a, an education junkie once in one of the articles and I thought it was very interesting and reading up about all your qualifications that is very true do yourself a favor and go to CrossFit Milford's page and go see all the qualifications. Um, but where, the, the, the love for, for sport and, and your history and your background, just give us a quick overview, just so the, the listeners know exactly where it started for you, the, the stop, the break for you with the basketball, and then you're moving to CrossFit as an athlete and then to you know, a coach with so many athletes, but we'll get to that. Wow, you did your homework. Where'd you hear that story? I'm a, I'm a journalist, so it's my job. Okay. Wow. Okay. So I was a basketball player and I was, so my goal growing up was to be a professional basketball player. And when I was in college, I realized that the, uh, a path for me was going to be making it overseas. And I think I, I thought I could do that. So I put a lot of time and focus into making it overseas. And I had two agent tryouts. One was in Utah and the other one was in Boston. And when I went out to Boston, I got signed by an agency and we went overseas with an American team. So I was over there playing in Europe. I got signed to go to Norway and I came home from that. And when I was home, I was mowing my parents' lawn. And as I was mowing the lawn, it was sort of like this weird, I wanna say euphoric, but I mean, it's not euphoric, but the, the situation was weird when you look back. You know, it was the last strip of lawn and I was done and I took a step back just to hit it real quick. And I stepped on a central air conditioning unit and I thought that that unit was a lot closer than what it was. And I went just to go sit down on it and stand back up. And as I went to sit down on the air conditioning unit, it wasn't that close. <laughs> so, so I sort of just like plummeted down. And as I just quickly dropped, I like pulled the lawnmower back and my foot came up under the lawnmower. And uh yeah so it was like it was like a pop pop and then it was like the shock so i didn't really feel anything at first i like threw the lawnmower off and i had shoes on and i looked down not to be gross but my shoe was cut open and my toes are hanging out yeah. and i was like oh man <laughs> so at first it was like like shock through my system so i took my shirt off and like i tied it around my foot and I'm like, I don't even know what to do because no one was home. So I hopped in my house and I called 911 and I laid down. And then like when I lay down, like that's when all the pain and, you know, like my basketball career is done. It's like something that was my complete identity. And what I trained essentially my whole life for was just like over, right? Like, like right when I thought it was getting started, it was over. So that was extremely hard for me. And I was in the hospital for three weeks because they thought they were gonna have to amputate a couple of my toes, just from all the dirt and debris that was in there. So, so I came out of the hospital, I was still bedridden for like, uh, I don't know, the whole summer. So I just graduated college. I thought like my entire career was gonna be started in basketball and I was gonna be overseas for a couple of years. And, and like, just like that, it was like done, right? It's like, so I really didn't know who I was at that point. I went to school for exercise science and, and health and CrossFit wasn't big at that point. So for me, so my senior year of college. What year was, was this? Sorry, sorry. I just want to find out what year was this? This was, uh, so around 2005. 
early days of CrossFit? Yeah. Um, so my senior year of college, I was going to go to Ohio State University, which in the States is a huge football school and basketball, big D1 school. Mm. And I was going to do, be a strength and conditioning coach there, get my master's degree and go through the exercise science program because one of my professors who I was very close with, that's where he went. So I was going to head out there. And if you're not familiar with the, the strength and conditioning field within inside the university in the United States, you sort of like bounce around. Like you might, you might start at some place and you sort of like bounce around to obscure colleges and hopefully land something at a school and sort of make your way up to director status. But that could take a long time. So at that point, I was like, man, I don't feel like going back there and doing that. I don't know what I'm going to do. And, um, you know, I'm like bouncing around, like riding motorcycles and getting into MMA and like just trying to figure out like who I am at that point. So the learning experience for me there was that I, I'm able to understand athletes really well when they go through hard times and, and identity issues because, you know, I've been there. I understand what it's like. So I um. The saving grace for me, I think, at that point was like finding my wife. And I found my wife. And at that point, there was a small training studio that was like shutting down. And I um I knew I wanted to get back into what my degree was in and what I loved doing, which was training. And I knew I, I didn't want to bounce around the university circuit and I didn't want to be in a big gym, you know, kind of grinding doing personal training all day long. So I just took over and, and I took this gym over. And so that was like the, the end of basketball and then the start of sort of like how I got back into coaching and training. And then the first seminar I went to was in 2008 for CrossFit. And it was cool. So I went down there and Greg Glassman was still coaching the seminars. And no matter, you know, what we think about him, he's an amazing presenter hearing this, the course from the creator was really good. So we went down, I did that. I came back from Virginia, which is about an eight hour drive and, you know, rebranded the facility that I was, that I owned in across with Milford. Oh, um, then you started competing as well. You, you have the gym, you are the founder of, of CrossFit Milford, the head, the head trainer. Mm. Um, and then in 2013, that was your, your best open, your open finish, 35th in the world. It's, it's, it's very good. And then from there on, you competed. And then when did the, the shift go to, to focusing on, on coaching? Because mm. you hear a lot about all the podium finishes, um, um, athletes that you have, you know, the team that did so well came second in 2015. Was there a specific time where you decided, okay, I'm going to... I'm still an athlete, but I'm more so a coach. I'm going to focus on, on my athletes and what I can do for them. Yeah. You know, there was, there's two moments. One, I remember very well. And I'm, I guess you could say I'm, a, I'm addicted to training and growth as well. And I love training. It's something I do <clears throat> all the time. Like I still train twice a day because it's, I love to move. And I remember I was training and I was doing these early morning row intervals. And the day before I was holding 500 meter rows at a 134 pace for 10 times on a 60 second break. And I did that and I had to come back and I had to do a 1k row time trial. And my goal was to do a 1k row in two minutes and 54 seconds. 
and I got to like the last, I had like last 250 meters, which, which you know, is at that faster point, than Matt Frazier did in the games, by the way. One second faster. <laughs> I bet you that, oh, I didn't get it. So this is the <laughs> okay. moment. That was my okay. goal, right? All right that was right. my goal. And right. I had the last 250 meters and it wasn't there. And I just stopped rowing, you know, and I've never in my life been in a hard situation and meant that I just couldn't do it. So that was sort of like the first click where I was like, all right, well, maybe I'm kind of moving on from here, you know? And then I remember sitting there and when was it? I think we just competed at Carson the first year and I was on the team and, and I was talking to my wife and we had the conversation was like, well, if I really want to be the best coach I can be and be great and not just be good, then I have to be a coach. I can't be a player coach. I can't be an athlete coach. So I, I just had a conversation about what I thought was more important to me, trying to compete or trying to coach. And I realized that it was coaching, not competing, you know, and, and it's always been that way. It, you know, even now people ask if I'm ever going to get back into and try and compete at the master's level. And one, I don't think I can, you know, I coach a lot of masters and seeing like the lifts that they, what these guys can lift. I'm like, that is just insane what these guys have been doing now, but I have way more enjoyment out of coaching and developing and teaching than competing. And I still find ways to compete um, to kind of satisfy that for myself. You know, I'll still compete against people in here from time to time and throw my hat in it. But yeah, that, those are like the two kind of main moments that I had that kind of caused that switch for myself. I want to go over to um, coaching one-on-one -on -one and in person, and then your work that you do with clients that's somewhere else in the world, online coaching, mm -hmm. and how you coach an athlete to go to the games or they want to compete at the elite level. Um, having somebody one-on-one -on -one, Comparison, comparing to somebody that's on the other side of the world. How do you maintain that? Oh, not maintain, so, sorry, that's the wrong wording. How do you manage that and what, what is your approach? That's a great question. So it's obviously so much more ideal to have it in a one-on-one -on -one setting because in a one-on-one -on -one setting, I can truly understand the intricacies of an athlete. You know, if I were to watch you, I watch the athletes walk into the gym and how they walk into the gym how they look at me, how they shake my hand, how quickly they get changed. I look at this, the, the movement that they perform with a barbell or gymnastics and what does it look like? Does it look different than before? How does their energy feel? And all those indications to me are the true essence of coaching. You know, coaching is the natural blend of science, but also the ability to understand human connection in humans. And the more you can understand, you can blend science and humans with the proper language, that's how you become an effective coach. Doing that in person is very, it's not easy, but it's more efficient to understand the athlete, to understand what sort of language you need. I look at language as like a marriage, right? And understanding, I'll say the love language, but understanding the way people hear things and the necessary needs to communicate and why people might respond like there's some athletes that I can give them tough love and I can be hard on them. There's some athletes who I can't at all. And if I were to give them tough love, it would backfire. Right. And understanding if I sense an athlete is, is kind of out of it, why they're out of it and what I can say to them to help bring them out of it. 
language is so important for a coach to be effective and it's it's not really focused on that much yet and i think it's starting to get there right but if you don't communicate well with your athletes and they're not going to generate buy-in and you have to understand what to say and how to say it and that's so as just as important as knowing how to coach a snatch or a muscle up because that's what creates buy-in and trust and that's the most important thing for an athlete to have is trust with inside the coach doesn't matter how good a program is if the athlete doesn't trust the coach or the program then it's not going to be effective so doing that in person is is more effective because you can read the person more you can read the language whereas online when you work with athletes and they might be across the world it's harder because athletes have a sense of if a coach says something or has something down on paper they feel the innate need to have to do that to have to do what's written on paper where sometimes that's not the case you know because so there has to be lots of calls and communication where I can try to learn the intricacies of that person and there's something called soft talk so soft talk is like the almost the what ifs the one days the maybe I'll do this and lots of people flood language with soft talks so what I'll try to do for athletes I'm working with that are far away is understand what their soft talk is to give me more indication of, of doubt or fears or issues that might be popping up that they're trying to hide, that they're going to hide through different soft talk language. So yeah, doing it from a virtual perspective um, is harder because you have to really dial into that person because they're going to try to hide sort of any issues that they might be having because they, they don't want to feel like they're letting you down. Whereas in person, you can kind of see it easier, you know? So I hope that answers your question. I feel no, like I kind of went off on a couple of tangents. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. No, it's just when you look at relationships uh, between coaches, if you look at the, I'm going to use the, the top five uh, games, females and males that, that went to the games. Now it's just an easy um, example to use. And you look at their relationship with their coach. Um, take Catherine David Stotter and Ben Bergeron. I mean, they, mm -hmm. they're like, I don't, I don't want to say um, it's a dad and a daughter relationship, but it's, it's, it's a unit that's so tight and there's trust there. The same with, with Shane Orr and, and Tia and Matt, and you can go to Kerry Pierce and her coach and so on. How do you build that relationship with somebody that's on the other side of the world that's not in the same time zone as you? And you mentioned, you know, you, you have a look at your athlete when they walk into the gym, how they walk into the gym, the, you know, the, the emotional state, the mental state, you as a coach, how do you then help yourself as a coach to help your athletes to reach their potential? If you can't go into that emotional thing um, so deep. You have to have a team and you have to have a team of people who can specialize in different aspects to bring that out more in athletes because they can look at something from a finer lens. So if I'm working with someone who is in South Africa, I might bring in someone else to help me with them that might focus just solely on their language and I might have them create uh, what's called storyboards for that athlete to get a better and deeper understanding and connection of who that person is. 
And I think when you're able to bring in a team, the athlete will kind of let down their guard a little bit more knowing that that person that they're talking to specializes in that and isn't like the overall kind of coach. And I think, well, to me, I think that's the most effective way to do it for someone that is far away that you don't see every day, because then you have that person who's looking solely at that one specific thing of the character or the person or the response and they can help relay that information to you. And then you can kind of start seeing more intricacies of it. It's like coaching a snatch. If you're looking at just the snatch and all together, you might miss three or four things, whereas you need to focus on just the setup and then just the first pull, what that bar looks like from the ground to the knee, right? And then what's happening to the middle. Same thing when you're coaching an athlete, you have to look at five or seven different things with inside not just their movement performance, but their character and fatigue factors and the resiliency from a physical mental perspective. And when you can have sort of like various people in or teams assist and help with that, I think it creates more trust, but it also gives you more data to utilize to help yourself as a coach. And again, I don't necessarily know if that's just like the best way to do it, but for myself as a person and, and coach, that's sort of like the best way I've had success doing it the the type of athletes that that you have on your on your books on your roster uh if an athlete approaches you do you just take somebody that just wants to you know be compete let's say at a sanctionals level now that regionals are, are gone or do you only take on athletes that we are in it to make it to cars oh, well cars not anymore but wherever the games will be next year we want to make it to the games yeah, I take on anybody. I just love working with people. I don't care what level they are. I don't care what fitness level they are. I want people who are going to work hard and give a great effort and, and do their best, you know? And um, I've worked with athletes who were exceptionally high level and have made the games, but I just didn't like their attitude. I didn't like the way they acted, so we stopped working together. It's just not fun and enjoyable, you know? I want to always do things that, are fun, enjoyable, and challenge me to learn and grow. And if something's not fun or enjoyable, I don't want to waste my time doing it, you know? So, yeah, I just like work with people who want to work and give great effort and want to learn. Looking at uh, the elite athletes, uh, what we miss is looking at the coaches. You look at the athletes that perform well, they go to the games, they hit heavy lifts, they, they get first in the world in, in, in different events. When you look at um, T.R. Clay and, and Matt Frazier's performances, looking at their coach, how, what is he doing right? Does he just have two exceptionally talented athletes? Or what, your, your experience as a coach, what are they doing right, the three of them? <laughs> That's a tough question because... He's, he's doing a lot right because Tia keeps winning. Right? <laughs> and not just winning, but absolutely dominating, yeah, yeah. you know? So I look at that as like, there. yeah, keeps getting better. So I look at that as there's a lot of right being done. Um, with Matt, I know like he just started with Matt. I feel like Matt is, I feel like Matt's one of those people who will just always dominate and win. I don't know. It's like, you know, he, he, 
he's always done a lot of his own stuff, his own programming, and he won like four times in a row or three times in a row with never having someone like directly look over him. You know, I know Chris Henshaw gives him a lot of aerobic stuff, but and I, and that's a hard question for me to answer because I don't I don't see the way Shane interacts with them. I don't know the programming he does with them, but he has a lot of success with them, right? So he's obviously doing a lot right because they're staying at the top of the game. They're staying injury-free. Um, they both seem to seem from what they per portray on social media to be still liking and enjoying what they're doing. And there's still lots of growth that you see with inside them. So there's, there's a lot of right done. I just, I, I don't, it's hard for me to kind of pinpoint what it is because I don't, I'm not in there watching, but there's definitely a lot of right being done there. They need to put it in a bottle and then sell it. So, you know, it's like a template. Okay. This is what you do. No, they're, yeah. they're, watching them is just absolutely um, amazing. And as you said, I just think they're going to get better and better. And I don't even think they know how good they can and still be. Um, I want to go a step back. You mentioned now something um, uh, that uh, it's very important. And it's something that I've noticed with the athletes um, in, in my box that, that's pursuing the games is the enjoyment factor. One of the first things on your very long list of, of qualifications is, is mindset. And I read a post on Instagram, I think it was last week, that said, I can't remember on which, whose page it was, and I apologize for that, but it says that should boxers and coaches be programming mental training as well? And I think that's something that um, has been neglected over the years. And um, I've seen with, with a lot of the girls and, and, and the men that compete is they have a dream, but they're not enjoying the process. It's the, the aim is to get there, but what happens in between is not enjoyable. So your experience with mindset, how do you, how do you coach that? It's a great question. So I look at mindset as there's like six pillars within side athlete development. And it, it's not just for high level athletes, but it's for everybody. Right. And, your breathing will people have to truly understand how to breathe right so we know like all right well, what's the ideal perfect breath well 5.5 second inhale 5.5 second outhale for a total 5.5 a minute for around 5.5 liters of breath per minute that, ideally that's where we want to get people to from just a down regulatory standpoint but can do people have, do athletes understand how to breathe when they work out breathe through different contractions, breathe through different movements, because that varies for everybody in a way that can optimize their breath in order for energy preservation. There's movement. People have to understand how to move correctly. If you don't move correctly or don't move well, you're going to waste more energy, right? There's nutrition, there's hydration, there's sleep. And the main pillar is mindset. And mindset is something that people say and talk about, but they don't really do, like you're alluding to. And for me, growing up inside sport, we saw this all the time, which would, you know, you're quote unquote practice players who the players who in a practice are amazing. And you're like, this guy, he's going to go pro. But the second they get into a game situation, they freeze or they're not good anymore. And we see this in CrossFit as well. You have these athletes who are the perfect body type, can lift the weights, can move well, but can't get past the open, right? Or sanctional or the regionals when they have them. And then you have the other athletes who are like, oh, this person is pretty good. They have some high skills. And then they're always right there knocking on the door to make the games because they perform 
so well. And from a mindset perspective, I think it starts at a very young age between having a fixed or a growth mindset. And it's how do these athletes understand how they're looking at adversity or how they're looking at things when they don't go well. So from a training perspective, there's lots of things that go into account with training mindset. One is the athletes have to really understand who they are and why they're doing what they're doing. There's an old quote from um, Dr. John uh, DiMartino, who says, if your whys are big enough, the hows will take care of themselves. So if what you're doing is really of importance to you. And it's something that with inside your soul, like you grab onto, you love. It's the last thing you think about when you sleep. It's the first thing you think about when you wake up. How are you going to go about it? That's going to reveal itself to you, right? And you're going to find ways to do the little things necessary every single day to get better. So from a mindset perspective, you have to understand why you're doing what you're doing, why that's important to you, why you're making these sacrifices. From there, you have to understand the process of goals, the process of achieving stuff. And it's not, I think it's harder now because of how much we're inundated with social media and these like PRs and these lifts where when I was growing up, we didn't have any of this. So it was like, you just had to go out and work. You didn't know who was doing what. You didn't know if what you're doing was good, but you knew that you just had to keep working and training if you wanted to be better. And if you wanted to come across somebody and beat them. So you had to keep your head to the grindstone. It is easier to kind of block out the noise. Whereas for us now, it's, it's a little harder to block out the noise because you open up your phone and, you know, if you're following all these other athletes, you're seeing all these, all these other great things they're doing and nothing else. So you have to be able to block out the noise. But then there comes a lot into training the resiliency of the mind. From a coach perspective, it starts with inner dialogue. How are these athletes talking about themselves? How are they dealing with tough situations? And from when you're coaching an athlete, we, I start with their inner dialogue. What are their words? What's their language? Because no one talks to you more than you talk to yourself. So what are you repeatedly telling yourself? Then we do lots of visualization. Visualize the workout. Lots of mental resiliency. So the ability to overcome hard situations comes down to experience. So athletes who reach the flow state, it just comes down to they have a better control of their breathing. And when they get in this situation, they've been there so much that their body can not work as hard, relax, and just kind of move and flow with the situation. And that comes down to the brain being there in multiple times in multiple situations. That's why, like with fighters, like you get in your first fight, it's like you're just tense and you can't move. Whereas people have been there before, they relax, they read the person, read the body language, and just flow better with it. So you have to visualize the workouts, especially with the open in the sport of CrossFit, where you don't know what the workout's gonna be, or you might, or it's a, it might be a brand new workout. You have to visualize yourself going through that. You have to visualize something that might come up that, that might be difficult or challenging, and then how you're gonna work and talk yourself through that with the proper language and the proper actions. So when it does happen, you're like, okay, I've been here before. So you have to keep doing that. And you have to do these things in a controlled setting from inner dialogue to journaling to visualization. And with the journey, it comes down to writing down your experience of the training session. How did this session go? What, what was hard? How did I talk to myself? How did I feel about this? How did I feel when this happened? And it's bringing more accountability and more attention to these little things that mean a lot.
And then you start adding these situations in more chaotic environments. So chaotic environments are uh, no reps, you know, a movement change, something that might not, you have a plan and expectation and it changes. Okay, well, how did you respond and react to that? What was your language? What was your dialogue? What happened from that? And then from there, putting it into a higher stress environment with more on the line, which can simulate uh, performance inside an event or a sanctional and having more experience and exposure there. And the more you can put the person strategically in these environments, the stronger you can build their mindset. You know, it's like, under, and Rich Froning was one of the best at this, where he would take 33rd in, you know, the triple three workout and then come back and on being in 20th place going into day two or three of the games and come back and win the games by crazy amount of points, right? And it's having that mental strength and that perseverance and that resiliency. And that's something that has to be trained. That's not something that you can just say, hey, you gotta be stronger mentally here. Well, okay, cool, yeah, but but how? That's like saying, hey, you gotta be stronger, okay? Cool, like, oh. how? you know, and, and those are the little things that the coaches have to really focus on. Is that the coach needs to focus on that, but if you as a coach have no idea how to do that yourself, I mean, that's where another qualification or certification needs to come into place because this is something that I haven't noticed that a lot of coaches focus on. You, you look at their pedigree and their, and their qualification certification, it's all level one, level two, gymnastics, weightlifting, but there's, it's all about the physical, but if your mind's not right, we've, we've, I've seen it now, even that there was an article about it today, about, for example, Brooke Wells that performed so well in stage one of the games in her home gym and then couldn't keep that up in, in the, um, in, you know, at the, at the ranch. So if you, that's something that the coaches then need to work on and go out and seek advice, certifications. Do you think that's somewhere CrossFit is moving towards more as it's getting more and more competitive. I mean, we've, we've been around what the games have been around for 12, 13 years or so, you know, it, it, the athletes are just getting better and it's just getting harder and harder. I think so. I think as, as the CrossFit coaches get more experience and the one thing with CrossFit is it's such that it's a pool of coaches that have this undying passion for self-discovery and learning. And that's evident with what is done for every other compartment of the fitness industry, right? You take powerlifting, weightlifting, gymnastics. CrossFit coaches probably saved all of that because half their seminars are filled with CrossFit coaches, right? And mindset is just this other component that they're gonna come into, you know? And for myself, I was, fortunate because growing up in in sport I was with some really good great coaches and the first college I went to my basketball coach had a huge focus on mindset whereas we as a team had to take courses at Springfield College in mindset and that was sort of like my first exposure to it and I was 18 years old and then I was around with a couple of other amazing coaches where they'd bring in people in the preseason and talk to us specifically about mindset so that was sort of like my first introduction to it. It's something I've always stuck with. And then for me, the way I approach learning and development is I look at all different compartments of what I think are necessary for being a good coach and being able to coach. 
And if I can't explain it to my kids to do it, then I feel like I don't know it well enough. And I, if I feel like I have to talk fast or use big words, then I don't know it well enough. So every single year, I'll look at different things. And this year has been a lot on, for me, going back and revisiting mindset and breathing patterns. So I'm like, all right, well, can I explain this to my kids, right? They keep asking me why. At some point, am I going to stop or can I break it down to where they're like, okay. And if I can't, then I got to seek out who I think is the best and I have to learn from them, you know, to where I can fully explain it to anybody and anything. And I think you're going to see a lot more of that and you're going to see more mindset stuff coming into CrossFit. You know, there's, um, there's a bunch of people I know who are doing great things with mindset already, but inside this sport of CrossFit from just focusing just on that, I think one's called like driven mind training. Um, there's a few others. So Brian Kane is someone who, who does a lot of great stuff on this as well. So I think you're going to start seeing a lot more of it. Uh, somebody asked me earlier, you, you've had all these athletes podium, but I couldn't find any names. Your athletes that's been to the games that it's done exceptionally well. Who, who are the names that's, that's over the years that you've coached? Oh, you have uh, Mike Egan, um, Ron Ortiz, Andy Sakamoto, Dan Tominski, Craig Kinney. Um, I did some endurance stuff for James Hobart when he was there. Um, I could pull him up. Uh, give me one second here. Yeah, Andy Sakamoto also mentioned, uh, I know she's also still doing um, some of your programming stuff and she also... You know, she's still following the work that you do. Are you still a full-time coach for her? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, Robbie Davis, Ron Ortiz, Amanda Allen, Craig Kinney, Kalina Ladarius. Uh, I helped with Rob Orlando and James Hobart, uh, Connor Duddy, Michelle Sweezy, uh, Rodrigo. This past year, Connor Duddy, uh, Brooke, Brooke Haas, Christian Harris, uh, Dex Hopkins and Kelly Baker who made the games, but didn't happen. Sean Ramirez, Donna Bruce, Amy Mandelbaum. Um, they all kind of multiple repeat athletes. Jackie Violet, who was a teen athlete. Um, so yeah, those are a few names. It's not a few. That's that's <laughs> quite a lot of big names that, that you have <laughs> that you have on your belt. Uh, Jason, for this year has kind of stood still worldwide, CrossFit-wise as well. Um, athletes that had to face adversity, you know, people that made it to the games, but then couldn't go because of COVID, you know, people that made it to the games for the first time. One of our athletes, Jason Smith, who is actually technically a master's athlete, but still making it to the games. I mean, mm. he, he said that this might have actually been his last year. Looking ahead at 2021, so many uncertainties. What do you foresee for the sport in the next year? I know Eric Rosa said something today that the Morning Chalker posted about his vision for the Open. I mean, that's the closest thing that we have so far regarding to the next season. Your, your predictions for, for the next season that's about to start in a few months' time? If the season is allowed to... I feel, let me backtrack. I think once we reach some sort of normal, normalcy again, and meaning like all right, COVID's never gonna go away, but we'll have vaccines and and over time we'll be able to get it back to where it can run like it used to run. I think there's gonna be a resurgence into the connection of the games and CrossFit like it used to be. Um, I think the affiliates, I think 
the sanctionals or regionals, however, whatever format they're going to go to, the open. I think we're going to go back to where it was this huge community driven event with the culminating event of the games. And it's going to be like the celebration of fitness from what I felt like it was before. Whereas I feel like the past couple of years, you know, Greg tried to pull what well, he did. He did pull the games away completely and it was like separated and it was like this disconnect. I see everything coming back together and where I, where I think it should be together. And it's going to be like this big enjoyment of the open, a celebration of the open, progressing through the different levels leading into the open. So I'm excited from what I've heard Eric say. I'm very excited of where I think the connection of CrossFit and the games are going to be heading. This year, I don't know because of COVID, right? It's like, it's like I think the Open is going to be great. I think they're going to put a lot of attention and focus on the Open. I think his goal was, what, 500,000 is what he wants to participate. I think that's great. I think that's amazing. As far as what's going to happen after that, you know, I'm not sure how it's going to work. I think they said like the top 250 would be seated at different sanctionals and then you know, that's how you make it to the games, but it's like, okay, well, are the sanctions going to happen? So I know for the athletes, a lot is, a lot is up in the air based off travel restrictions, travel requirements, you know, what it's going to look like and what this year is going to look like. But when we do get through this, I'm excited of where it's going to be and what it's going to look like. Jason, if uh, uh, one of the listeners would like to get in contact with you regarding programming or just, you know, picking your brain about, all your, you know, the, the knowledge that you carry over the, over the many years that you've been part of the sport, where can they get hold of you? Yeah, for sure. They can send me a direct email, jason at conquerathlete.com. Um, my, my gym's crossfitmilford.com. The online training that I do is conquerathlete.com. So we have Instagram channels. I have my own Instagram that I've, I'll post a lot more kind of like training things and training thoughts that I do. And then Lots of the Conquer Athlete Instagram is on athletes. And then the, the Cross and Open Instagram is just on our gym. So if they have questions about gym stuff, uh, business ownership, gym ownership, and like that, they can send me an email at Jason at Cross and Milford. Anything with training itself, coaching, Jason at Conquer Athlete. This is Jason Layden at the Criss Cross Podcast. Thank you so much for your time. It was an absolute pleasure. I really, really enjoyed it. And hopefully we can chat again soon. Good luck with what's left of this year and um, yeah, all the best for, for next year. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks. Have a good one. Cheers, eh? You too. Okay, Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye.